Assalamu alaikum everyone. I hope that Ramadan is treating you well. Today's episode is going to be a very, very personal one and also a very much needed one on my page. I have this discussion in so many different episodes and, you know, different little segments. But I think today is a day that I make a really big fat episode about it because this is a big topic and it deserves this attention. So this episode is not just for my females. This is for anybody, anybody that's listening. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. This episode is here to talk to you about how you measure yourself. This is a big topic. This is not an easy topic. And this is a topic that also has a lot of boundaries around it regarding oneself. So the question really is a big one. How do you measure yourself, right? And I'm going to answer this question and I'm going to share with you guys, you know, the different ways people do measure themselves and how it ends up and whatnot. And I'm going to share some personal stories from my life because y'all be loving those. I don't know why, but, you know, I mean, it was, it was traumatic when I went through it. But now, now we just sit back, you know, we sip some juice and we talk about it because it is what it is. So one of the big things in my life that was constantly a problem for me that I just could not get out of was... How do I know when I become successful? Like, what is the litmus test? And the first answer that comes to my mind is, well, you'll have money. I have money. I'll be successful. And that was my belief since I was a child. That was something that was, it wasn't engraved in me by my parents. It wasn't engraved by anyone else. It was engraved in me by the way that I see the world work. It was, I saw people at stores. They had lots of money. They bought lots of things, which means they were happy. And then I saw people at stores that, you know, may not have enough money. So they had very little things. And so I, as a child, you know, being six, seven, I didn't know any better. So I was like, okay, so if I have lots of money, I will be successful. So all I have to do in life is to make sure that I find some way to make lots of money and I'll be fine. Growing up in Brooklyn, New York, you know, we have so many little stores around us and, you know, like little family dollar stores and little beauty care stores and stores like that are very, very common. There is this one little, you know, corner store that I remember in particular, and it had everything in it. It had like toys, it had like a whole toy aisle, a coloring supply aisle, pots and pans, it was like a whole mini convenience store, right? And I grew up going to that store with my mom because, you know, if my mom ever needed like a broom or something, you know, she's like, all right, let's go. I, at the time, was like five, six and happiest day of my life because anytime I went, my mom used to let me buy like a little nail polish or like a little makeup thing. Mind you, I was like a child. Of course, now that we're older, you know, the situation about makeup and nail polish in Islam, that's completely different. But, you know, when you're a child and prayer is not obligatory on you, it's, it's different, you know, and I was like you should get a new broom every day because I want some nail polish. And it was, you know, my nail polish collection when I was a child was, oh my God, it was the best. Like you, I today cannot accumulate the collection that I had when I was little. And it it used to be just something cheap, something easy to collect. And I used to get different things all the time. I remember one nail polish in particular day when I got this one, I was floating. I used to go to the store and I wanted this one particular one so badly, but my mom would never let me get it. I don't know why. She always used to be like, okay, just get a simpler color or don't get such a dark color. Essentially, she always used to tell me don't get a dark color. But it was this beautiful, like dark purple one. And it was like, it was like it fell out of the galaxy, literally. And it was so glittery. It had so much glitters and it had literal like little gem glitter stuff in it and like little stars. And so whenever you put on your nails, it looks like, you know, galaxy nails, whatnot, right? and obsessed with it and I remember this one day in particular my mom was like okay just buy it because I used to ask for it every single time I used to look at it every single time I wanted it every single time right as far as I can remember 
So anytime she used to go there for, you know, getting anything, even like a house appliance thing, it was like, I get a nail polish. So this is a dub for me. Like, you are going to take me every single day. This is a W. I'm getting a nail polish. And I, I loved nail polishes growing up because it just felt like happiness to me. I was in fifth grade and I used to buy like these big nail kits. You know, the little different brushes and the dots and whatnot. And I used to literally be making cherry blossoms on my nails. I was a pro i was really good at what i did and i used to make pandas and all these other things and i used to call people over to my house like baby i'm gonna do your nails come on like i was i was running a business okay i was running a business and i was also really obsessed with candles so what happened was when i was younger the way that i measured success as childish as it sounds was through my nail polishes was through the successes that i had was through through like the toys that i had right this sounds stupid this sounds childish and it sounds funny like you can laugh at it. it's cool but like when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, I was like, okay, well, I have more nail polishes. I have more, you know, makeup and toys um, than this person does, which means I am better, which means I am successful, which means that, oh, I won today, right? It wasn't even my money. It was my parents' money. And this is my humble opinion. Even today, I do not think anyone is rich until they go out there in the world and make it themselves. I don't care if your parents are rich. That doesn't make, that, that doesn't give you a crappy reason to be entitled so many people have rich parents and they're driving nice cars and they're over their head about it they're like oh you know i'm rich i'm luxurious i have this i have baby that's your parents that is your parents shut up i hate people like there's nothing wrong with you know accepting and using what your parents buy you getting nice cars. There's nothing wrong with that but when you start to get arrogant about it and you start to get over your head about it that oh my god look at my car and you belittle people who actually work jobs who are actually working the long hours to make money shush get out no one wants you here i'm kidding we do want you here but don't like i don't get the attitude about it and it's so sad because I see people like this all the time around me where they have so much pride in them. You know, they're driving like a BMW or they're driving a nice car, they're driving a Tesla. And um, it's like, okay, it's great, mashallah, you know, I'm happy for you. I'm not trying, I don't, I don't care. But it's like, why are you treating other people like crap because you have something your parents gave you? I just don't get that because I feel like the real judgment comes like after, you know, like when you actually have to sustain your own lifestyle, then it's like, okay, let's see what happens. And again, you know, I'm not wishing bad upon anybody, but I just don't get why people are arrogant. Again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, using nice things, whatever. But like when you get arrogant about it, it just gets me kind of confused because it wasn't even yours, right? Anyway, but as a child, this was my measure of success. And then, you know, coloring books. I was obsessed with coloring books. It was like, if I had the newest Barbie coloring book, I ate. I am queen. This is it. I'm the best. If I had the nicest, you know, dress that day at a party, you know, those little tutus that girls be wearing, I am the best. And so it was kind of that thing as a child where it was I want to make sure that my nails are done every single place that I go so other little girls can see that my nails are done and be like, oh my god, she's so cool, right? So it was like a validation thing. And I know that sounds so stupid, but I was like five, y'all. I didn't know any better. And that is your world when you're five. School's not even that serious when you're five. It's about, you know, toys and how you look and like makeup and nail polish and stuff like that. That's what matters when you're like five, six, seven, and eight and you're a girl. And if you're a guy, then, you know, it's like Hot Wheel cars. Like who has the most? Who has the nicest track sets? And things like that. So for me, it was that. And I always felt so incredibly happy when one person used to compliment my, compliment my nails. One person. It could be any person on the street. It could be my teacher. It could be my best friend. If they said, you have nice nails, I like your nails today, that's it. I'd be so happy. I'd go to bed like I, that's it. I am billionaire today, okay? I'm done. 
I won. And I used to get so happy about it because it was like, that is how I measured myself, right? And if only times were that simple. As I grew older, obviously I grew out of makeup and nail polish and things like that. I like nail polish, but it's like, I, you know, now it's just whatever. And then like makeup, I, you know, in my teen years, I was really obsessed with it. You know, before like my period came in whatnot, <laughs> I was obsessed with it. And I still have, you know, a collection. It's like, I don't wear it out anymore because, you know, scholars do have opinions on makeup and whatnot. And it's not, it's considered like beautifying yourself in front of, you know, non-mahrams and you shouldn't do that and whatever. So I don't use it. But, you know, it was like I had a nice collection. It was something that I enjoyed. So eventually, I don't even know how, but it just became a side thing. Like the makeup, the nail polish. Now I'm, you know, I'm 12. I'm 11. I'm 13. I have, like, now I can go to the store by myself and I can get a nail polish if I want. I don't have to ask my mom. I don't have to show my mom. I can go to the store now and get myself a little, you know, elf palette if I want. Ain't nobody gonna say nothing to me. No one's gonna ask me. And I did. You know what? I used to go, like, after school with my friends. I used to buy it and I used to not tell my parents. I mean, she used to find it anyway, but, like, I used to do that. And it was great. And it sufficed for the time being. But then after that, it just wasn't enough. And slowly, my validation, my self-measurement of makeup and, you know, beautification, it just vanished. I don't know where it went. It wasn't until I got my period that, you know, I was the first out of my friends to get my period. And I feel like my period story is always so funny. Um, I know that this, I said that this episode was for everyone, but listen, if you're mature, you'll be fine. My period story is so funny because I was the first one to get it out of my friends. And when I first got it, my mom was act she actually cried. She was not happy. <laughs> it was without anger. <laughs> she was upset. She was mad. I think it was like 13, 14. And she was like, that is so early. That is so early. And, you know, she was really worried about, like, development issues and whatnot. But now that I look back at it, 13, 14 is normal. But I was the first out of my friends, right? And when I first got my period, I was in school. And it was middle school. And I didn't know, like, what was going on at why it came during school that is so shady that is so rude but you know it, I was at school and it was it just it just was there and I it wasn't like it wasn't full-blown or anything so I didn't pay much mind to it and then I went home and um I got really worried because by night it wasn't you know like yeah, I'm on my period and I didn't know what it was I called my sister and I go hey I have to tell you something but don't tell anyone okay like don't tell anyone I pull her aside and she and she's like, what happened? I'm like, listen, don't tell anyone. But like today when I was in school and I went to the bathroom, like I, you know, I think something's going on with me. And she stares at me and she goes, did you tell mom? I was like, no, I didn't tell her. Don't tell her. What should I do? And she was like, okay, come on. And then she takes me downstairs. She gives me, you know, whatnot. And she's like, put this on. I'm like, <laughs> embarrassing why am i sharing this story listen i know majority of my listeners are girls anyway and a lot of girls have actually asked about my um period stories and whatnot and stuff like that because you know it's like not talked about among communities because they find it taboo and that i think that's a problem too because parents don't teach their kids what is going on and so they have to learn from outside sources which is a problem my parents like okay when it happened my mom told me what it was and whatever it wasn't a problem i was talking to this person who told me how you know their parents never told them about periods and this is for a lot of girls they don't tell you about periods so where do you end up learning about your period you learn about it in school and what do they also tell you in school oh if you want to do something inappropriate you can do it if you want to do something that's wrong you can do it it's okay if you're 14 you know now you have desires now you've gotten your period so now you're grown 
And like, yo, we do not talk about this, but that is a very big problem because I genuinely know people who had no clue what their periods were and they learned about it from school, from an outside place, you know? And I think especially being Muslim, it's even more important that you tell your kids that, hey, now that you started your period, you don't pray, you know, you're going to sit out with that. You're not going to be praying right now and things like that about, you know, what they can and cannot do. And I genuinely had some people that didn't know and they were praying. And then I was like, yeah, you're not supposed to be doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. Parents in our community, they don't want to talk about it. They're like, oh, that's inappropriate. That, you know, you learn on your own. There's no reason to be talking about that. You know, as they say, but it's like, then your kids learn about it from outside. Then your kids learn about it from at school. And then they learn that, you know, now that you have it, you know, you are like, you can do anything. And it's so sad because I genuinely know people whose parents are like, if you feel like you need to do, you know, something inappropriate, just do it, but be honest and tell me so, you know, we can handle the situation. I'm like, uh, what? what's going on i get so shocked that parents are okay with that type of stuff and i mean the per the people that i've seen that being okay with are usually not muslim but even then like your child's like 14 how are you okay with that but you know when you are muslim and you don't tell your kids well they learn from outside and then whatever they learn from outside is the rest is history really then they got to filter through you know what you tell them what school tells them and what health class tells them and then what islam tells them and then it's just tell them just tell them like when they get it just sit them down and tell them what it is it's awkward it's embarrassing whatever do your fair share of embarrassing adulting and let's keep it pushing because it's honestly way better to just hear it than have to like learn it from like health class and then no just stop but yeah literally just just tell your kids it makes everything so much more better anyway so besides the whole little awkward interruption of the story that I just told you, um, you know, now then the discussion became, okay, well, now, you know, we're teens. And I was the first one to get my period, which was not cool. And I actually wasn't happy about it at all. I actually felt like I sucked. I was like, oh, I'm such a loser. Like, what's this? Why do I have it? And then I realized, like, everyone's going to get it. And, like, some people literally got, like, two months after me. And I was like, can't hey, suffer. <laughs> you know, then after that, I was like, okay, whatever. Right? And then everyone started getting it. So after that, the discussion was like, now, how do I value myself? Now, what do I find to be proprietary about myself? Because first it was, you know, toys, nail polishes, coloring books, dresses. And, you know, it still was about clothes. But then it became to lifestyle. Let me portray my lifestyle as it is something it's not. And this was when my life slipped. Like, it slipped. You know, I get so happy when you guys tell me that you guys feel like I'm a real person and I'm very honest. And I love that because that's really the goal. I say everything as, you know, I would say it to my best friend or to even myself. And it wasn't until this stage of my life where before it was just materialistic things. And the love of material and the love of the dunya, it's dangerous, it's bad, you know, but it isn't like I emotionally and spiritually I was whatever like it was I was fine you know what I'm saying like it didn't consume me so deeply because I was young and I also didn't know any better right but when it became about me measuring my value through the way that I portray my lifestyle to other people that is when my life became a hellhole and this unfortunately continued when I lived a little bit in New York just a, quite like a gap there you know, before me leaving. And then it really like it went sky high when I moved here alone. 
um, in Atlanta. By the way, if you are a person that's living in Atlanta, hit my line, slap my line. I need friends. I'm very lonely here. Please feel free to DM me. If you are going to college, please slap my line. I want to know where you're going. Um, please. I, mean, I just want to make friends, please. Okay. Yeah. Now that we got that out the way. Um, also, also, also one more, one more other thing that this is really random, but I just want to mention it. I know I'm getting completely off track, but y'all, I know lots of people follow me on social media that are like MSA, you know, little clubs on Instagram. I have gotten this discussion before as well. If you want me to speak at your little Friday halakas, Zoom virtual sis, I will do it. I have never been an MSA in my day in my life. And I know that a lot of MSAs are fitna, but there are some that are actually good. And you know, if your MSA is a great one, you know, y'all are avoiding free mixing, it's a good place, you want me to talk there, which I don't even know why people would, but I actually had someone ask me and I was like, Of course, like ask them, do they want me? One of my friends was like, Hey, you want to speak at our MSA? And I was like, oh, shut up, ask them if they want me. Like, that is such an honor. And I get so happy when I see like MSA people follow me or DM me on Instagram because it's like I get so happy to see like clubs know me. Like it, it makes me so happy, okay? So um I know that some people, like, for their MSAs on Fridays, they look for people to speak at, like, the little halakas on, like, virtual Zoom. 100%. If you're interested, I will do it. Okay? Can you tell that I want to do it? Please, someone invite me. Someone invite me. Um, Yeah, I'm down for that. So, I had one of my friends that asked me, and inshallah, hopefully, you know, the MSA club want me because I'm ready to talk, okay? So, um, if you want that, just let me know, and I will, I will totally join on. Besides the point, irrelevant. Anyway. So you're now living a lifestyle that is not yours. And that was my story where it was it wasn't until after I moved that I had nothing, nothing. I had nothing. I didn't have any friends here. And if you live in Atlanta everywhere, well, if you live even in like in the counties, you know, near it, not a lot of people actually live in Atlanta itself. You live in like, you know, the suburbs, counties around it, right? You can't walk anywhere. You can't. When you're in the city city, yeah. But like when you live in the counties nearby, you can't walk anywhere. You need a car. Okay. You need a car. And when I moved from New York, this was the biggest culture shock of my life. Cause I'm like, what is going on? Where's my 7 Eleven on one side, my pharmacy on the other side, my convenience store with the brooms and the nail polishes, and you know, that one shop that sells a dollar sliced pizza. What's going on? There's nothing here. And it was the most annoyingest thing ever because it was like, I have to get a car every single place I go. And I, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to drive at the time. I wasn't old enough to drive. Now, alhamdulillah, you know, it's different. But like, I, I wasn't old enough to drive. So if I want to go anywhere, I had to go with my mom. And that's not a problem. But my mom has her own schedule. I have my own schedule. And it's just like, it was so annoying. Because it's like, I couldn't go anywhere. And there's no such thing as public commute in like counties. They might have like a little bus, but nothing like legit, bro. There's no commute here. So it was no nothing, no train, no bus, nothing. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? You want me to take, you know, an overpriced Uber every single time I go somewhere? Like, I, I'm Pakistani. My parents would not let that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm confused. So it was so annoying because it was like, I can't have fun anymore. I'm not living the lifestyle that I wanted. And of course, my parents moved down here, you know, also for better reasons, which is Alhamdulillah, I don't regret it now. But, you know, in the beginning, it was like, there's no Muslim people around me. I don't know anyone here. What am I doing here? One of my closest family and friends, y'all will be surprised how we met them. Um, It was, my mom was at Walmart one day. You know, it was just my mom. And my mom wears a hijab. And she was, I think, in the yogurt aisle. My mom... 
My mom in her yoga aisle, okay? She was in the yoga aisle, I think, and, like, getting milk, whatever, right? And some auntie, you know, some auntie, she sees that my mom's a hijabi, and she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, hey, excuse me. I wasn't there to experience it. But she also used to live in New York and moved down here. And we we didn't know her. And she goes, oh, my God. um, Or, like, you know, like, are you Pakistani? Whatever, whatever. Mom's like, yeah, you know what? No. She's like, oh, we also moved from New York. And then, you know, they exchange numbers. And then, like, you know, we go, we go to each other's houses. And that was probably, I mean, they have, like, a son that's, like, 10. So it's like, I don't have any, like, they don't have any kids my age that I can be friends with. But that is literally how we met our closest, like, family friend at Walmart. That one day was a miracle. Thank God that, you know, we were in that aisle because we wouldn't have met them other, you know, otherwise. And then, of course, then slowly, you know, the circle grew. But that is how we met our first people. So essentially, we did not know anyone here. Like I mentioned in one of my other episodes, we had one person that my dad knew that was like a college friend. But again, like we weren't, it wasn't like a close relation. It was just like, I know someone that lives there. But it wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna go over their house on a Friday night. It wasn't that type of thing. So no cousins, no nothing. I'm living here alone. I don't have any friends. I go to my first day of school and it absolutely sucks because people are looking at me like I'm crazy. These people have been friends with one another since they were in kindergarten. They don't want to be friends with someone new. No one wanted to be friends with me. And it wasn't because I was weird or anything like that. It genuinely wasn't. No one just didn't. No one cared. No one wanted to talk. It was like the second everyone got up, everyone got in their own circles. Everyone got in their own groups. Everyone wanted to work with themselves. No one here and i still stand by this people say that the south is very very um you know like loving i feel like the south is very hostile i have not had a great pleasant experience here maybe because i hate to say maybe because i'm muslim but i you know how it's like there are some people in the south they're very sweet you know they'll just say hey good morning try to hug you be nice okay that's different but like that's very rare too that's like sometimes at the pharmacy but your general people within schools and communities and teachers they're not very nice and not very welcoming a lot of people just kind of stare at you and they won't say anything and even if you say like uh hey to break the awkwardness they'll just continue staring i haven't had like a great experience and I've talked to other people about this as well, and they've kind of agreed. So it hasn't always been great. I kind of found it to be a little bit hostile. But um, yeah, so no one cares because who wants to be friends with someone that's random and new? And, you know, of course, then I did slowly make friends. And I'm not friends with those people anymore because the situation with that, unfortunately, didn't work out. I mean, it's, it's so cool. There's nothing wrong. You know, I don't even know where they're at in life. It's just like we all want our different paths and I don't even see them anymore. I literally go to the same high school as them, but we just don't see each other anymore. Our paths just don't cross anymore, right? Um, so I, you know, one of the first friends that I made when I came down here and I still, even though things fell off, you know, with her, I still value her in the sense that she was there for me in my middle school era, you know, for the first year and a half when I first moved and I didn't have anyone, which was really kind of her. But, you know, after that, things became different and then, you know, drama in middle school and whatever. But it was, it was fun in the moment being because it was like, you know, I finally met someone. And she also, I think, used to at least, at one point, at least visited New York or her family was in Florida. I don't know. But she understood. And we became really good friends. And then from her, I became friends with her friends. And then we became a big group of people. And it was like, that's it. Like, I had the most friends out of everyone out of nowhere. And it was it was a miracle. And I felt like it was God's blessing. Because I was like, I moved to a place that has nowhere to be, nowhere to do. And now I have, like, the most friends. And at that phase of my life, my measurement of success came from how many people are in my circle. 
And then it was like, how many people are in my circle? How often do I go out with these people? How often are me and these people having sleepovers? By the way, never. I'm Pakistani. How often do, you know, we get to go out and eat food and have fun? How often are me and my best friends having the nicest things? And it became like a lifestyle thing, right? Where I was judging my success based off my circle. So... This also plays into the lifestyle category because this lifestyle phase was a really big, big one of mine. You'll see how it goes throughout the years. But it became how I judge myself and how I see success was through my circle. And it was like, you know, at the time, academic validation was like a spark in me. It wasn't that deep. It wasn't severe. It got psychotic when I went to like high school. But it wasn't deep in me. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, I really want a good grade. Oh, I didn't get a good grade. Okay, whatever. You know, it was, it was that type of thing. I got worried. I used to be stressed out for classes, you know, if I was going to fail them. But it wasn't my everything. My everything was my friends. My everything was the fact that I could wake up every day and go to school, have the best group of people around me. And the people that understand me, the people that relate to me in every single way, shape or form, this is success for me. Because it felt like I had everything that I had before. And now God has blessed me with it again. And it felt perfect. It felt like what you dream life to be. Because, you know, you're waking up you know, even if you don't get to experience the same New York lifestyle, which was honestly a heartbreak for me regardless, because it was kind of like the feeling of just getting off the bus, you know, in New York, going after school with your friends to get a dollar slice of pizza or to eat something good or to, you know, go to the gyro carts to get like go to a store like it was that was its own thing. And now it's like that's gone. Right. So the next best thing that I ever had was friendships. And when I lived in New York, the way that my friendships were was it was more of an outing. We're going somewhere. We're going to go eat jar. We're going to go shop at Target. We're going to go somewhere. It was always, or I'm at their house. They're at my house. We're playing something. We're calling. The actual friendship itself was something I never evaluated because the friends that I grew up around, I knew them since I was an infant. You know, I knew them since I was a toddler. So I knew everything about them and I never felt the need to know more about them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just natural. Like, you talk to them every day, see them every day. You don't think about the friendship after that. You're just kind of like, this is my bestie. It's my homie. I, they're amazing people. And then after that, you don't sit there and evaluate like, oh, was this person's aggression? Was this person's action a microaggression? Was this person's action hateful? Like, you don't think about that because when you grew up with this person, like, Y'all just know each other. So you don't have to take that time to self-evaluate yourself on who you're becoming or self-evaluate them. And Alhamdulillah, they were amazing people. I still talk to them every day and they have encouraged me and helped me grow on my spiritual journey so much. But I just never thought about it because the lifestyle was just so different in New York. After moving here, now that I don't have this outside culture environment lifestyle, now I'm focusing on the people itself. I have made a best friend. I'm in friendships with people how amazing are these people? How are these people making me feel? How have these people changed my life? And in the beginning, it was great. They were changing me for the better. I was very, very depressed when I moved here. And I shared the story before where, you know, it was one day in particular before when I was struggling to make friends and I was waking up for school and we were going to go out the house and my mom's going to drop me off at school. I started bawling my eyes out ballistically and I started crying and I was like, I just want to go back home and take me home. I don't know why you brought us here. It's not fun. I'm not having fun. And my mom was always like, oh, you know, you have family. It's okay. Da, da, da. And I was like, it's not the same. Like, I want people my age. You know what I'm saying? And so after I was in these friendships, I felt like I had something after having nothing for a very long time when it came to a social perspective. So I turned a blind eye towards everything. Everything that went down, everything that was whether good or bad for me, whether it was, you know, 
amazing or not good, whether it was good for my spiritual state or not, I turned a blind eye because I finally have something after having nothing. And after you finally have something, as stupid as it may sound, a friend or someone that you can tell things to. Because when you're in middle school, like you have this urge. I have a secret. I want to tell someone. I feel sad. I want to tell someone. Now, of course, now that I'm older, I just don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, if I have a secret, it's staying with me. If I'm sad, I don't really talk about it with anyone. I just, you know, pray, whatever. But like, you know, it's like you realize how the value of your life changes later. But um, when you're in middle school, you just want to tell someone. So for me, I was satisfied and I was confident. And this is where my self-confidence came that I have people around me that I can share things to. I am not a loner. And unfortunately, that mindset, which I didn't know at the time, again, was bad because I turned a blind eye, came and ate me up. Because, you know, when things did fall short around, you know, eighth grade, when things did end up on the bad end and literally the whole school hated me, the whole school hated me, yo, I kid you not, like, at least practically everyone knew to an extent what was happening. Everyone in all my, I think, like, six periods of classes knew what was happening, their friends knew what was happening, and if someone I didn't know didn't know what was happening they still kind of, like, knew someone that knew. So, basically, like, it was a branch, okay? Like, no one liked me, okay? Um, and it, was, it wasn't it was even necessarily me. I can, I can confidently say, you know, some things were actually rumors. It was just straight-up rumors where it was like someone said something, then someone said something, and then when someone else says it, you know, they add their own spice to it. They add their own flavor to it. They add their own, you know, cumin seeds and some paprika and whatever to it. So it was like everyone got their own jokes about it. And so it came time where it was like, you know, lunchtime. And we used to have this thing where like on Fridays used to let us go outside to like walk around for a bit. And that, then it was like everyone was saying something. And it came to the point where if I was absent one day, people would be like, oh, Hera said this, Hera said that. Hera wasn't even at school. Like it was, it became ballistic the way that people were talking about me. And you know, I, I used to confront, like, you know, people that were close to me, like, hey, did you say this? And some of those things, I bet they genuinely did not say, and some of them, they probably did. But whatever it was, the way that everything got so consumed and tied was that no one wanted to trust me anymore. And, you know, I also, being a middle schooler who came from a place of, div you know, diverse culture, Diverse friends, acceptance, love, you know, a place where everyone doesn't care if you're a hijabi. They don't care if you, you know, dress the way that you do. They don't care. In New York, they really don't care that much. I mean, of course, now it's different, but like they loved you for you. They, It's okay, whatever. People mind their business. Coming from a place like that to coming into a place where, you know, everyone is, no offense, mainly white, which is, I'm not saying that to be mean, but everyone's mainly white. No one here in my entire school, as far as I was aware, was muslim maybe there was one muslim kid some guy but i don't even i don't know him i don't i barely saw him so it was like no one knew what this thing muslim was and no one understood what a pakistani person was and then you know it also came to a part of me where i hated my culture i hated being pakistani i was like why am i pakistani why am i different why am i not just basic and you know like i feel like every girl goes to that phase where they wish like oh i i wish i had like brunette hair and blonde eyes and you know i blonde and blue eyes i wish i looked like everyone else but that's not that's not how it works right and i hated my culture i hated everything about it and i hated you know 
being judged for the way that I was, even though on, on the outside, you know, I dressed like everyone else and whatnot. And you know, I mean, I dressed modestly, but you know what I'm saying? Like it just, everyone, I just wasn't like them. And so since I wasn't like them, I felt like I wasn't enough. Right. And so it was at this point in my life where even if I did do something or I didn't do something, and if I did make a mistake at that time, it doesn't matter how young you are. I sincerely apologize in the bottom of my heart to the people that I can't talk to anymore, people that I have talked to and apologize, and just may Allah forgive me for my shortcomings because I think we all have them in certain way, shape, or forms. I just became a bitter person, not to people, not to anyone else, but to myself because I just hated life. I hated everything because the things that people were saying about me were atrocious the way that people were saying things about you know suicidal thoughts and secrets that i would not even want my own soul to really know like the way that things just blew out of proportion when people would be like oh you know go kill yourself da, da, da. like you know it sounds like a cliche netflix movie but at that time i already was struggling with those things i genuinely was already struggling with suicidal you know thoughts and whatnot because i was i hated what my life was becoming because i lived in a place where i had nobody i had nothing to comfort me i used to literally get get on the car go to school come home off the bus that's it. That was my life. I had I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't go out. I couldn't get a job. I was not old enough to drive. I was not old enough to even get a job at some places. I had nothing to do. I had no hobby. And even if I did want to get a hobby, it was like it didn't suffice me. Nothing felt real. I felt like I was living in a matrix of blindness of just wake up sleep wake up sleep school test wake up sleep school test we had no friends we had no outing nothing for a very long period of my life you know my mom at this time she also got really really sick so it's like there's so much on my plate already from a home life that i'm not I'm never gonna share but also from school so you know when people are talking about the fact that you know you should just kill yourself that never was one of those things that made me think oh yeah maybe i should do it because i wasn't that impulsive a person who cared about what people said that much but it's like since i'm already going through those thoughts previously before all of this crap even came up it was just kind of one of those things that reinforced my belief that oh i'm not crazy for thinking that you know i should just totally you know end everything here so I was not, it's not a Netflix movie. I wasn't one of those people that were like, oh, someone said I'm gonna kill myself, so I'm gonna do it. It wasn't that. But it was kind of like, I'm already, you know, in that thought process where I'm not happy with life. And I don't, like, it, it wasn't gonna change. There was no loop of this changing. I was gonna go to high school next. It was gonna be the same drama, same people, same everything. There was no end. It didn't seem like there was a solution for me. So the discussion comes down to, even though what people may be saying about me, some of it's true, some of it's not, now I'm disliked by these people. And when you have to walk into an, an environment where everybody hates you, it's crazy because everyone's just dead be staring at me. And then like two seconds later, bro, they used to rip out papers and like write stuff and like pass it around the room and like text stuff. And it's like, it was such a prime Netflix drama now that I think back. But it's funny now, but in that moment, it was like, it's so childish. You always have something to say. Like, you know, and again, I had shortcomings to where I became bitter and I stopped talking to people and I became, I just became a bad person inside to myself as well because I hated myself for the way that other people perceived me. So this is where my entire goal of my life became, I'm going to show these people that my lifestyle and me is great with or without them. I don't need them. I'm so happy i'm so content i'm so fulfilled 
I don't give a crap about what you have to say about me. And I don't give a crap about how you perceive me. I'm totally not sad now. You know, I'm totally not depressed. I'm 100% great now. And it became this thing where you are trying to put on a front to show people that you're okay without them. That you're happy without them. That you're fulfilled without them. And then that became my entire lifestyle. Trying to be someone I'm not. Trying to be everything they said I was and accept that. Trying to be complete opposite of who I was. Forgetting the fact that I had a culture, forgetting the fact that I come from an Islamic Muslim background, from a family that teaches me to pray five times a day. By the way, throughout all of this, I was praying five times a day and I did read Quran, but I had no connection. You know what I'm saying? I was just doing it like just as is. I Alhamdulillah, that's a blessing that I think God has always put on me that I was still praying throughout all of this. But it was just like I didn't understand life. And every time that I used to pray, you know, it was very often that I used to just start ballistically crying. And I used to be like, why am I crying? And I don't know why I feel like I never understood a depth about this thing that you can have a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God is something that I never thought could be possible. Because in my mind, it was like God is great. God is so high. God is almighty. God is all powerful. What would he do having a relationship with me? I'm a horrible person. You know, I call myself a Muslim. I'm praying. I'm trying my best, but I'm not a great individual. And I always had this belief at, when I was a child that when even in middle school that to be loved by God and to be pleased by God and to have a relationship with God, you have to be a sheikh. You have to be an imam. You have to be a mufti. You have to be someone with a big title. That was my biggest misconception in life. And since I had that misconception, I never ever saw out of it i never even thought a relationship with god who am i i have nothing proprietary nothing special about me not even spiritually what is special about me i am a normal teen i'm 15 16 i struggle with my prayers like i prayed but again like the you know like feeling I didn't even know that people had a deep feeling when they prayed. I didn't even know about that. So I, I thought whatever I was doing and I thought this whole situation was normal. You know, just praying as it is and then folding the prayer mat. That's it. I thought it was normal. I didn't even know people had feelings. I thought that the people that had feelings and that were crying and, you know, that were so emotionally moved by prayer were people that were big, were people that had titles and people that God loved, not people that love God and I wish that someone told me that that was so wrong that you don't have to have a title to be loved by God you don't have to have a title to be pleased by God you don't have to be a sheikh or imam or a mufti or something like that to have a relationship with God God wants a relationship with you regardless of what your title is regardless of how sinful you are regardless of how bad of a person you are when I was 15 I was 16 I had no clue of that because I was like what is proprietary and special in me for God to see me and think, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to put mercy on this person. What is special in me for God to be doing that? I don't have anything to offer. And people that have titles, people that are imams, that are muftis, that are shifts, they have something to offer. It's the fact that they're smart. It's the fact that they have knowledge. It's the fact that they, you know, preach and do dawah. I don't have any of those things. And I feel like that frustration ate me out alive because when you don't have those things and you aren't smart and you don't have a title and you aren't a mufti sheikh or imam or an alima, you're normal. You're a normal girl who has nothing to her name. You wonder what you could potentially do to ever deserve God's love, right? 
And that is a question that I used to sit very deep in my heart and I never looked at it. I never turned towards it and I never thought about it. As life went on and, you know, eighth grade year was near ending, it was about time for graduation. And even graduating was the scariest thing because when I had to walk down the aisle, I had people on both sides talking, 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 talking. When it came time for, you know, they're like, you know, at the end of the year, like parties and whatnot and congratulation parties and whatnot. I initially was like, okay, you know, no problem, whatever. But then what happened was everyone started screaming that at this party, Lord knows what, they're going to, you know, um, what's going to happen to me. And then they were just talking so much about this, like, oh, she better not come to that party, you know, da, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Just talking about how they're going to make it a hellhole of a night for me. So I got so annoyed because it was like, everyone's going to this party for like, you graduated, congratulations, let's go eat some good food, right? But they had this whole other plot, this whole other thought that, you know, um, that there's, we're going to cause these issues. And it wasn't just like a group full of people. It was just the whole school already hated me. So there was no reason for me to go to a graduation party. And I do want to start off by saying one thing for a fact. I should mention this earlier. I sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, have forgiven anyone that has done me wrong. And I sincerely hope that they have forgiven me. You know what I'm saying? Because I can sit here and forgive people all I want. But I truly hope that if I ever had a shortcoming on my end, they also forgive me for it. Um, So may Allah accept that on me. But I mean, you know, like the whole school already hates you. Who are you what are you going to do at a graduation party? Who are you going to socialize with? Who are you going to talk to? You have no one to talk to. The counselor? Who are you going to talk to? And... When the graduation party came, the rule was you had to go to school. You had to be in school that day to go to the party. Because if you didn't come to school, they wouldn't allow you to go to the party. Because so many girls would skip school just to get, like, fancy for the party and, like, do their hair and whatnot and go to the salon. I don't even know why. It was, like, eighth grade. But um, that was the rule. You had to come to school to go to the party. And I didn't go to school that day. I... I remember throughout this whole time frame, I used to throw up so much in the mornings. I used to get sick. I used to throw up in school. Like, I just, like, nearly. It was just horrible, right? And the school calls my mom. They're like, send her to school so she can come to the party. My mom was like, you know, at this point, like, my mom knew about the situation at school because the teachers told my mom. It was embarrassing. Even the teachers knew, okay? <laughs> Awkward. But um, everyone knew because there were literally times when the kids used to be sitting there talking to the teacher about me and, like, the teachers never did crap. Now that I think about it, maybe I'd get you fired if it was me today. But besides the point, irrelevant. May God forgive me. Okay, may God forgive me because that was rude. Allah, please forgive me. Oh, me. Okay, anyway. So, you know, at this point, everyone knows. And they were like, send her to school so she can go to the party. We will let her go regardless. Please send her, right? Like, she's graduating. Let her go. Mom comes. She wakes me up get up, go to school, get up, just get ready. It doesn't matter what people say, just go to school. No, I don't want to go. I hate it. Da, da, da. And I just started crying. And she's like, oh, like, oh my God. You know, at this point, my mom, like I cry so much. I used to cry every morning. But like my mom, she, she was, I don't want to say irritated, but she was just concerned at like a point where she was like, what am I supposed to do? And I mean, she couldn't do anything anyway. Like, you know, at a certain age, you can't sit there and complain to schools and teachers and staff. Like, that's childish anyway. That doesn't make anything better. When you're in third grade and someone, you know, takes your pencil, that's different. And, you know, you could complain and tell your mom and then, you know, whatever, get your seat changed. But when you get old, that's, that's not the scene. No one cares about that. And I didn't want my parents doing anything about it either because there was nothing to be done, right? The only solution was that I graduate, I get, I get out of there and I'm, I'm free. 
And I can confirm that even today, like now that I'm 18, I can tell you that I still, till this day, do not see a solution out of what I went through except graduating and getting out of there. Because it wasn't one of those things where you're like, hey, I'm sorry, let's be on cool terms. Where We had that discussion so many times. Hey, let's talk it out. Let's be cool. Okay, you know, I never said this. I never said this. Did you say this? No, I never said this. Okay, we're on cool terms. The end, right? And then it'll be like 10 minutes later, someone completely out of the loop would say something and then the loop would start again, right? So it's like you just, it was impossible with all these outsiders and with all these people that want something to enjoy. So even today, I can say I had no, I would not know what to do except getting out of there. Because even if I don't have like an issue with the people initially where it started, everyone else around, you know, the groups and the schools and whatnot, like they had something to say. And it's unfortunate because you can only clear up your image so many times. That's exhausting. And one of those things that I went through that caused so much drain for me was clearing my image every like second, third period. I was cleaning my image. I never said that. I didn't do this. What are you talking about that I, you know, did this, this, this. I never would do those things. And then it's like, you just, it's so tiring. It's so tiring having to tell people what you do, what you don't do, why you do it. It's just like, who am I living for? Am I living for you or am I living for me? And if I am living for me, you're making it hard for me. So it just, you know, you know how that goes. So after I graduated, I was so happy, alhamdulillah, that the way that my classes and schedules and pathways and everything just lined up, like we all just broke off. Thank God. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a way that like they were bad people. No, because I'm cool with all of them now. Like it's not, I don't have anything against them and I've forgiven them and inshallah they've forgiven me. But it was just like, thank God that you have a new start. Even if I was cool with them and they were my best friends, even today, I would still want a new start. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you live in a small town, you're about to go to a high school. You want to meet different brand new people. There's nothing wrong with that. Even now that I'm going to go to college, you know, none of my friends are going to the same college as me. And I'm still like, hey, thank God, you know, new people, hopefully, you know, I'll meet new people. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a shady thing. But um, so high school came around and, you know, I got a whole new set of people that was, it was, oh, it was bad. Let's talk about it. And uh, <laughs> um, it wasn't really until ninth grade where I, again, I'm breaking off from the people that I used to know and I'm trying to get into new friendships. But again, since I've become so bitter with myself and so bitter with the idea of me and that bitter with the idea of friendships and trusting people and trust issues that it was like I would talk to people and I would make friends, but I just wouldn't care anymore. And it became in that stage of my life where I just wanted to be someone I'm not to make myself believe that I was succeeding and that is such a difficult phase because why do you do things you do things for other people to see for other people to compliment you sometimes right like on a dunya level you do it so other people can be impressed by you or if you're talking about a spiritual state so God can be impressed by you right and that's fine you could that's great but on a dunya level you know for people to be impressed by you but when you aren't seeking to impress people you're seeking to impress yourself, you question, who am I? And this was such a question that I was like, wait, who am I? 
Because why why am I feeling the need to self-validate myself when I know who I am. I know how I wake up. I know how I sleep. I know where I live. I know the house that I live in. I know my family. I know myself. I know my culture. I know I know my you know education status. I know the way that I act towards certain, towards certain situations. I know my triggers. I know my dislikes. I know my likes. I know what I love. I know what I hate. So who am I becoming and who am I putting on a front for? If it's not for them, then if it's not for me and then why? And I feel like I started to feel confused because I wasn't living with any intention. I was living with, I just want to feel like I did something. I want to feel like I account to something. Even the smallest amount of dust, bro, just let me feel like I'm worth something, not a waste of space. Not someone that should just commit suicide and draw. Not someone useless. Like someone that actually lived. And that is all that I wanted in that moment. I saw nothing more in life than just wanting to feel like I was a human that lived. That was normal. That was not from, you know, a crazy background. That was not culturally different. That was not you know, had family that were immigrants. I didn't want any of that. I wanted to just be normal. And now, alhamdulillah, I can say I love, 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 love my culture, my family, everything. Because it makes me me. I'm so grateful. But in that moment, I just wanted to know what it feels like to be a normal human. Not a human that people exclude just because they have a different background. You know, and I thought that all of this would end there, but it's not, it's not a short story and it's not an easy story. It wasn't really until I got to high school that things actually even got worse my ninth, 10th and even, you know, a little brief in my 11th grade year. And it was really my 11th grade year where my entire life changed when, you know, the virus happened and then I found the dean and whatnot. And it was like when the virus initially came in, like, I think I was like in 10th grade and it was, I was like, oh, I'm going to be at home for two weeks. That's it. Right. And then, of course, you know, the virus extended and then we all had like summer and whatever and so you know it wasn't until that time that I unfortunately I was forced to pay attention to myself I was forced to be like who am I what am I like you know what am I and I made an episode about this long time ago and I want to bring this point up here today where I feel like a lot of my life was spent finding myself but I was never able to find myself Because I was finding something that never actually existed. When you're finding yourself, I always tend to question, what are you finding if your entire life you grew up, you know, from small beliefs that you held and then the rest of the beliefs being beliefs from your family, beliefs from, you know, your environment, your community. Where are you in their opinions? Where are you in who they say you are? And that can even be for good things. If your community says you're amazing, good, mashallah, smart individual, you know, you're on your dean, but where are you in between all of this? And I feel like kids find themselves at an age where it it kind of starts off in middle school, where you tell yourself, I'm finding myself, I'm finding myself, and you find yourself through a group of people, you find yourself through an event, you find yourself through a hobby, And you make these things define you. And that is how you measure yourself. Because you have now found yourself through a hobby, through an event, through a group of people, through a sport, through something that makes you feel alive. And that is how we find ourselves. We claim that the thing in the world that makes us feel the most alive is 
what we are. Isn't that weird? Whatever in this world makes you feel the most alive, the most you, you say that is you. And you say that is the person you found. But I, after all these years, really, with seeing the bad and the spectrum, especially in my ninth and 10th and 11th grade year, and, you know, again, getting stuck up in the wrong places with wrong people. <laughs> this was genuine wrong people that were not in good activities and whatnot. And it wasn't even like a choice. So that's how my entire high school really was. Everyone was you know, either doing some type of drugs or they were a felon or whatever. And if they weren't in those things, they were so deeply caught up in the love of the dunya, bro, that I cannot even tell you. The girls are so caught up. Okay, may Allah forgive me because I'm not trying to sound like a hypocrite or be like, you know, like we all to some extent are a little bit materialistic and love the dunya, right? But like I'm talking about like the girls that like prom is like what they live for. Prom is like what they die for. And it was like, when prom used to come around, like, it was just like, I'm, I, I'm wearing this dress, I'm wearing this dress. Have you seen anyone wear this dress? Has anyone showed you their dress and their dress looks like mine? Have you seen anyone have heels like mine? I don't want anyone having clothes like mine. I don't want anyone having necklaces like mine. Oh my god, I'm gonna get my hair done. But I saw this girl was getting her hair done there, so I'm not gonna get my hair done there. And it was just like, oh, mm, repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And you just petty, 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 petty. And then it was, you know, or they were cheerleaders. And I never <laughs> was into those things. But they were cheerleaders. They used to go to football games. They used to go to basketball games. And I was like, oh, I saw this guy at the school. And he was cute. And then this. And it was just petty. And it was the same. And it was a circle. So, you know, who do you hang out with? What do you get shoved up with? And when you haven't even been able to fix your image from last time of the fact that not all the friends that you make are bad, you know, and that was my case, I didn't fix the image. And then you go on and make another friend and then it janks you up again. And then you get, literally, you can get trauma from certain people that you're around and people don't talk about it enough because certain groups of friends that you become friends with will gaslight the crap out of you. Have you guys ever had that friend? This I've seen girls do this more than guys have where if anyone compliments you, anyone says anything nice about you they instantly jump in to do anything to deflect that compliment if someone says oh you look pretty today your hair looks nice today or you know you're wearing a nice outfit today i like those shoes today your friend will jump in oh yeah her hair actually looked really ugly in the morning you should see what it looks like let me show you oh my god i i remember those shoes i got them for her i picked them out for her oh my god her outfit yeah i helped put it together if you're a guy you won't understand this but there are certain girls that'll do that crap where when they see their friend get a compliment they will do anything to deflect that compliment and then somehow gain it. And I'm not saying that that's the thing that causes trauma. No, like trauma comes from a lot more other deeper stuff. That comes from some, mm, we're not, we're not going to get into that aspect of life. Because that also comes from, you know, your home life and things like that. And just an accumulation of lots of things that go on. That comes from life as a whole. <laughs> the accumulation of whatever's going on, right? Not from school, but um, the negativity and the annoyance that kind of comes from school. Where, you know, you're hanging around the worst group of people and then it's like, you haven't been able to fix the image last time that, you know, not all friends you make are bad, not all people that you meet are bad. And then now you met another group of people that are bad. And now you're just like, am I bad? What's the problem, right? And throughout all this journey, when you don't know who you are, you don't necessarily know what you will stand for and what you will fall for. And people don't talk about this enough. You can know something's bad and still not stand against it because you don't know yourself to know how bad do you think this thing is, Right? I could fall for a lot of things and think that those things are bad. And I may just not know that for myself. You get what I'm saying? Like you just don't know the severity and the depth of you. And how do you find those things out? And the biggest answer that I've been able to find 
is that you can't find yourself. You have to make yourself. You can't tell me likewise. Who are you finding? In this whole circle, you grew up, you were a child. Now you go to elementary school. You don't even know the concept of finding yourself in elementary school. You come to middle school where you're bombarded with, you know, some people that are doing drugs, some people that are, you know, getting into a really crazy lifestyle, some people that are really toxic, and you think, okay, this is just middle school drama, so you don't put force into it. So when do you actually end up finding yourself in high school? What happens in the ninth grade year of high school? You're infatuated by the fact that, oh my God, look, so-and-so has this car, so-and-so is driving this, so-and-so is on the cheerleading team, so-and-so is wearing this to prom. Infatuated, petty infatuation. You're gone into that. You know, hobbies are not even a thing for high school's majority of the time. And then what happens in 10th grade? It gets even more severe. Some of your friends, you know, got their first jobs. Now they're driving new cars. Some of your friends got, you know, licenses. And now they're getting into bigger parties. 11th grade year, you're about to graduate by 12. So everyone is like ready to show off. And they're doing the most that they can, you know, to show off. And to have an experience. And to show people the party that they're going through. And then in 12th grade year, you're going cycle, throwing the biggest parties ever. Getting drunk every single night. Hanging out with the wrong group of people. You know, and now by this time, like practically everyone is driving something. Whether it's your parents' car, your car, you have a job, whatever. You know, you whipping around everywhere with everyone. So it's like, where are you in this? It's just you living a bunch of events and thinking I'm living. And whatever you find the most joy in, you think that is me. I found me at this event. Girls will go to prom and look beautiful and be like, I have found myself this night. You didn't find yourself. You just realize that, okay, baby, you love, you know, getting ready. That That's something you like. Maybe you love going to parties. That's something you like. Whatever it is, like, Islamically, you know, of course, that stuff is not allowed. But, like, you just find out those things on your own. But those things just can't be enough. And that's just my opinion. It just can't be enough. Because when we say we're finding ourselves, it seems mere. It seems like hobbies. It seems like jobs. It seems like friend groups. But what about you? When you are alone with no job, no hobby, no friend, no financials, no house, no, like you as a whole without, you know, fancy clothes and fancy shoes and nice hair and dry blowouts and you alone, what is that person? And I wanted to find that because I didn't want to say that I you know, I found myself because I love to paint. I found myself because I love to, I love nature. That's not enough because it's always, I found myself. And when I found myself, I realized I loved blank. I did blank. I want to find myself associated with nothing except myself. And for that, you have to create yourself. Because what are you when you have nothing, Right? I hope this is making sense and I'm not sounding like some weird 1990s textbook. But (laughs) what are you when you have nothing? And when the virus came around, when everything came around, it was like, okay, I got to wind down. What am I? And I came to realize that I think that I am a person that is... Wow. (laughs) Hold on. What am I? I'd like to believe that I'm a person that tries their hardest in certain situations and I'd like to believe that I'm a person that is committed but I do think that I'm a person that tends to overthink I do think that I'm a person that gets very emotional you know there's lots of different attributes and stuff about me that I don't share um I just keep them for me 
but you know i found out what things i'm okay with and what things i'm not and what things i love and what i hate and most importantly i found out what i will stand for and what i will fall for and that is what changed my life because when i realized what crap i will tolerate and what i won't the way that i got treated by people the way that i was around people the way that i handled people and the way that i chose my friends completely changed leaving me with a circle so small that it was practically just me because so much of the crap that goes around especially at this age is not crap that as a muslim you should stand for you should allow and you should go with you get what i'm saying it's not stuff that you just go with the flow with because you're gonna end up in a ditch end up drunk end up getting into that lifestyle so you need to know what you're not gonna take and unfortunately if that means being alone then that means being alone i don't care because i'm not going to waste my spiritual state and waste my religion on this i can't my religion has to be a bigger purpose than this i hate to say this and this sounds really rude but i know lots of people that are christians they go party on saturday night getting extraordinarily drunk and you know whatnot and then on sunday they're at church and they're like oh well, i went to church so it fixes it all but you're not getting my point even as muslims okay we commit sins we repent we try again but it's about changing your life to fit your spiritual state because it, your spiritual state is the one thing that lives on right after you die after everything is gone after your expensive clothes are gone after prom night is gone after the drugs are gone that is what stays your spiritual state so how can i measure myself with school with academic validation which was a big thing for me where i at one point i was like i need to get 100 i need to get a's i need to do successful i need to get in the best college where how can i measure myself with school how can i measure myself with my clothes how can i measure myself you know as a child with nail polishes and toys and coloring books and how can i measure myself with the way that i act around other people and how can i measure myself with the lifestyle that i live and how can i measure myself with the fake front that i might have put on how can i measure myself with the people that i'm around when None of those things are things that will live on and give me a greater purpose. Why are all of those things things that wear out? Why are all of those things things that get old and things that need to be renewed? Because there has to be something in me that makes me a firm person, that gives me morals, that gives me values, that gives me a base to stand on. And what does that leave you with? Religion. It took me 18 years of my life to tell you from the bottom of my heart, bro, you are not successful if you're not successful within religion. You can have the best degree. You can be a doctor. You can be saving lives. You can be doing great things and while those may be good deeds on your end, if you are not praying, if you are not reading Quran, you know, it's not my judgment. May Allah forgive me because I'm not here to judge you and maybe you do have a good character, but if you think that this is what will make you successful in the ahirah, you need to know that a relationship with God, praying to God, you know, trying at least to start praying. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about the people that are trying and they're struggling. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that think that prayer is useless. I'm talking about the people that think that reading the Quran is a waste of time, that think that seeking knowledge and getting into a religion is a waste of time. I'm talking about those people, the people that practically don't care about god and they think oh well maybe he's there maybe he's not like you know what i'm saying i'm talking to those people what's gonna happen when you're not a doctor anymore and you're gonna die are you gonna be asked that you were a doctor is that the first thing you're gonna be asked about are you gonna enter your grave and that's the first thing probably not so why are you measuring yourself with that 
And it took me 18 years of my life to confidently tell you that self-confidence and self-worth, it is something that will never ever come from this world. It comes from your spiritual state in the eyes of God. It comes from your spiritual state on how pleased you are with your spiritual state. It comes with the relationship that you have with God. Why? Because this is the one thing that no one can take from you. This is the one thing that, you know, you may have your highs and lows, but it's not going to leave you. Only you leave it. No one leaves God. No one leaves the relationship with God. You know, God doesn't ever leave us. It's us that we, we go. We go. I'm sorry, I meant to say we go. It's us that leave, right? No, it's none of us. It's not like we decide to do this, right? None of us decide to get up and say, well, today I'm leaving my relationship with God. Bye. No. And it's not God never leaves. I can tell you that. It's us that do it through an accumulation of steps, through an accumulation of this dunya, through an accumulation of seeking something that we thought was so infatuatingly amazing and petty and then it came out to be stupid and then you are heartbroken and then you realize it's a waste of time then you, you know, starting all over. But God is never the one that leaves the relationship. It is always us. And of course, none of us do it, you know, on intention. One day we just wake up angry. We're like, done. That's it. No, it's an accumulation. And so that's why what you surround yourself around and how you measure yourself has a very big impact on that relationship because if you measure your success by how you know attractive you look and how nice you look with the clothes that you have with the shoes that you have and you know you need to have $200 shoes and you need to have you know and there's nothing wrong again there's nothing wrong with having nice things but you feel like you are only worth something when you have nice things and you are in nice places and with you know famous people or people that may have a big influence and this is when you feel like you are accumulating to something then in a manner slowly but surely you end up leaving god why because now you know you're so caught up in pleasing people in pleasing and dressing in a way to make people think oh she's so cool she's so like this to seek validation that you completely forget what god has told you to do and to not do i do want to preface that i'm not saying that having nice things and having you know going out with your friends and you know wearing good clothes is a problem it's not but when you become so intoxicated like it's drugs that you know my appearance and you become literally hyper fixed on your appearance and hyper fixed on being someone you're not right and you are ready to throw away any morals for it then it is an issue then it is because now you don't even you are again putting on a front for someone else and at the end of the night the question comes down to who are you when no one's around that it is the question it's cliche we hear it a lot but who are you when no one's around who are you when you don't have your clothes who are you when you don't have your fancy bags who are you when you don't have your fancy events to go to who are you when you have no plans who are you when you have no friends who is that person and that person is a valuable person if they realize in that time frame that it is god that completes us every time and it wasn't until that i realized these things my life changed Having ups and downs in your iman, in your relationship with God, it's normal, right? But ultimately taking the step back and realizing every single time that I messed up or you know what, it's okay, iman goes up and down, it's normal, let's try again, let's start again. Like going through that, right? And realizing every single time that I'm going to try again, I'm going to try again. I know God's still in this relationship with me, we're going to try again. And getting up every single time, finding new ways to make God to be pleased of you, to achieve Jannah, whether that is through giving more donations you know, being more kind to people, changing your character. This is a life one, a big one. You change your character. You have become a brand new individual for the sake of God. Whether that is, you know, praying more, reading Quran, more fasting, or changing your life, depending on what the one who 
is the almighty, you know, the one that will forever last, the one that won't leave, wants you to be, is what will make you feel the most content and the most fulfilled because God is not flaky. God doesn't just get up and decide to go out of trend, quote, quote, or get up and decide that that's lame today and that's not cool today. God will forever be as is. Because look, everything changes. Beauty standards change. If you're considered very, very beautiful and, you know, the thing today, by tomorrow, you know what, something else will be in trend. And then next thing you know, you'll be sitting there feeling insecure like, oh crap, I'm not relevant anymore. So if you rely on the beauty standards being the thing that gains you self-success, self-confidence, and self-worth, well, you're in for a short run because I can tell you it's going to come crashing down. If you rely your self-worth, your self-confidence, your self-success on the way that people perceive you, I promise you, you are in for a hell of a ride because people will love the crap out of you one day and hate you the next. And if I was to sit here and perceive myself from the way that other people see me, I would be living in a delusion. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys and I'm going to keep it 100. Most of y'all just like me because of the way that Allah has helped me come off to you. Otherwise, I'm nothing special. I'm no one big. I'm nothing. There's nothing special to me. Allah has only blessed you know the image with whatnot like you know he's helped me perceive and helped you know the help that i wish to help people with be effective otherwise i'm nothing special either right and so if i was to start perceiving myself with the way how people perceive me with the dms i receive people are like oh you're so sweet you know we love you you're so religious whatever if i was to start seeing myself the way that y'all see me no i don't think that that would be a good fit for me because then I feel like I would become someone so much that I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Because if I, I feel like that would lead me to becoming arrogant if I thought of myself so highly. And that's not me trying to be get sympathetic compliments. It's not that. It's just, you know, excessive compliments, excessive praises. It's like if you let, if you cannot let those things get to your head, you know, and I feel like as human beings, it's really normal to let it get to your head. I think that's very common. You know, it happens, but like you instantly got to jump back to square and be like, hold on, I can't let that get to my head because if these people like me, it's only because of the way God has covered my sins and the way that God has helped me, you know, alhamdulillah, perceive to other people. Otherwise, no. Right. So if you were to perceive yourself by the way that, that people hate you, you would forever not be able to realize your true worth and your true value because people that hate you do not give you the value and the accordance and the worth that you deserve they treat you poorly they do not see any good in you people that hate you want an excuse to be against you and if you perceive yourself the way that people perceive you and they hate you you will also find excuses to hate yourself every single day if you perceive yourself with the way that, you know, your family loves you, your friends love you, which is a good thing, it's not a bad thing, and you see how they're generous and supportive and loving of you, that's actually a really good attribute. And those are things that you should put in yourself because you know what they say that your friends are what rubs off on you. You know, on the day of judgment, your friends are the people that can really hurt you or they can really benefit you, right? So those are good qualities, the qualities of, you know, the way that people love you, people support you and the way that you do it back, reciprocating, learning from them. Those are good things. But you ultimately need to remember that, you know, whether you have this love coming from your family or friends or not, you yourself also need to take those good qualities from those people and also establish it in yourself. If you were to perceive yourself with the way that social media tells you to perceive yourself, be bad. And that's exactly what's happening now. You know, where girls are low-key getting over their head and they 
it's unfortunate some are getting over their heads some are getting incredibly insecure for no reason literally pretty girls getting insecure for no reason why well because social media told me that if i sh- if i'm built like this i look like this i'm ugly and it's like you know you can never it's too much and then there's some that are completely over their head because you know social media tells you that you are very very pretty if you have this and they have it and then they're over their head and then you know there's some girls that literally put up a front and they get ready and do makeup and everything like their whole existence is looking pretty and it's like besides that what else what else is there right so what else could you potentially measure yourself with in a world where everything is fading in a world where nothing owes you loyalty the only thing you could visually and i guess you could say logically measure yourself with would be faith because if you are practicing your faith you realize that your soul is meant to outlive this earth you're meant to do a very much greater purpose the the clothes that you wear the shoes that you wear the house that you live in it's, it's bigger than this right the prayers that you do you don't even you we pray we don't even know what's going on we don't think twice about it the angels are writing it down who lo- who knows what's happening right there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes that we have no clue about as humans so there's a lot of things that go down and about with faith and if you are perceiving yourself right now on low on confidence low on success low on self-worth because your spiritual state is not good do not lose hope okay iman fluctuates up and down because if i'm having a low iman day that doesn't mean i view myself and say i'm not successful i'm low on worth that that doesn't mean that that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is it's your it's your intention your initiative and your drive how bad do you want to become a better muslim I'm not talking about your actions. Actions come second. It all starts off with intention. I can sit here and give a thousand dollars in donation, record it, and be like, "Oh, this is gonna be the clout. This is gonna be the one. This is gonna be the thing that gets me my clout." Or I can sit here and give a thousand dollars in donation and be like, "This is gonna be the thing that gets me to heaven." Do you see the difference? So everything starts off with an intention. Every action starts off with an intention. I know that so many of you may struggle, you know, with your schedule, lifestyle, whatnot, but so many of you really want to become a better Muslim. You want to get closer to God. You want to start praying all five prayers. You want to start reading the Quran. You want to build a relationship with God. And these things are going to take time, but it all starts off with an honest intention. So start off by focusing on your intention. What are you intending for yourself? Are you intending for you to skip your five prayers on purpose because you're so consumed with something else? Or are you intending on you to at least attempt to do all five prayers? Are you intending on, you know, buying a Quran and then never opening it? Or are you intending on actually trying your best to read the Quran and actually trying your best to learn it, even if Arabic is not your first language and whatnot, right? Even if it's just the English translation. What are your intentions? Are your intentions genuine? Look at those intentions and how many of your intentions are there to please God. You're trying your best every single day with your spiritual state. I can assure you that you are getting your hands in something that won't let you go. You're you're not going to be disappointed when it comes to faith, when it comes to religion. And I can assure you my life has done a 360 spin after I let go of the things that I loved that were bad. And I loved them severely, you know, a lifestyle, people, whatever. I loved it deeply, you know, living the way that I live, doing whatever I want. It was, I loved it, right? 
but it, it, it ate me up at the end of the night i was crying every day and when it came time to let go of you know the way that i perceived myself and the way that i used to judge myself and the way that you know i used to self-validate myself with how people used to treat me that day when i had to let go of those things that also meant letting go of lots and lots of people that also meant letting go of lots and lots of activities lots and lots of hobbies lots and lots of me that meant letting go of lots of portions of me that i created in myself that i disliked and it's very common that you know on the journey as some people like to say finding yourself or i like to say creating yourself you will create some parts of you that you may not agree with 100%. And you might have to disrupt those parts and you might have to start over. But that's the thing about creating. You do it again and again and again till you at least get to, you know, a route that you're okay with. So when you do have to let go of those things, do not belittle your heart. Do not sadden your heart. Do not get heartbroken because this was written for you. It's a part of you. And if God has guided you out of so many people to let go of those things, take it as a honor. You will have so many things in life that you will let go, bro. But when I, I, when you let them go, I swear you won't be disappointed. You won't, bro. Give it a couple months. Give it a couple weeks. You know, even that same day, you might see the miracles of how God will literally switch your life upside down. But you have to give yourself and God time. You have to want it as bad as you want the lifestyle you lived right now. I have talked to so many people that lived a crazy lifestyle for four years and then they quit doing everything, right? And it's been a matter of two weeks and they're like, I'm so depressed. This sucks. I don't have anything to distract me. I'm so, so sad. You know, I let it go for God, but God didn't do anything for me. You were there for four years, okay? You weren't complaining then. You now turn back on the path of God and you're expecting God to do everything for you in a matter of two weeks. If it was to work that quick and it was be express shipping, wouldn't it be easier for everyone to just be on their lean, right? But that's one of those hardships and trials of this world. Sabr, how long are you going to keep patience? You have to bear patience and you have to want God to, you know, heal you in the miracles. And not as bad as you want it. It really depends on that. There's some people that want it really, really, really bad. They want it to come ASAP. It's not always going to come ASAP. Sometimes, you know, you're going to see the sweetness of your work two years down the line. But I can promise you when you see it, whether it's in this world or the next, you're not going to be disappointed. That's what I'm telling you. So many people are scared to be disappointed. But the ultimate discussion comes down to the fact that you're not going to lose. That's what I'm saying. If you do not gain something amazing that you wish for in this world, you will in the Ahira, right? You get the reward for it in the Ahira. You're not going to take an L, nowhere, shape, or form. If you let go of something that you may think is maybe haram or maybe it's halal and you don't know and, you know, the scholars have in-between opinions. You know, some people that actually believe that music is okay. They're like, well, if it doesn't have, you know, bad words in it and whatnot, and that's completely, it's not right. Because music is haram, the instruments are haram, um, it's not allowed. And, you know, one of the big reasons why is because it, it completely intoxicates your mind. And people like to say, well, it doesn't. It doesn't intoxicate my mind. It's not It's not a problem for me. You know, like I go about my day, but then it's like, okay, then no problem. Let it go. But it's difficult then, right? Because then it's like, oh, but that it makes me happy in the morning. It gives me energy. But like, that's what we're talking about. You know what I'm saying? So there's some certain people who genuinely live in the middle. And they're like, I don't know if music is you know, halal or haram or whatnot, and it's like, then let it go, and you'll see that you'll get rewarded on the sort immensely. First of all, music is haram, straight up. It is not good. It really intoxicates your mind. You hear the same thing, same song, whatnot. It's it's just not. It's just it's not worth it. I can promise you, life has changed completely after letting go 
your life will change after letting go of those things and you know it's it's in the matter of Allah you have to be patient of course to receive those blessings but you have to you have to try it bro like at least for two months let go of music so many people have put their playlists and whatnot on pause because it's ramadan stop thinking that ramzan is a time for you to pause your bad habits try to let go of them try to let go of what you think is not 100 benefiting you we have lots of things in life that bring us joy that are in the gray area or things that you know as guilty pleasures but like things like music or if you're into drugs oh sorry man i can't hit my vape i'm, I'm fasting it's ramadan bro after i'll see you on eid what is this for this month is for that for you to learn to let go for you to learn to break off from these things and you are becoming very very of your own enemy letting go of the chances that you have to let go of these things you get it like if you put them on pause and you're like i'll come back to it soon you're being your own enemy because you have the chance to let go you have the chance to experience allah's mercy i said this analogy in my discord in the live podcasts and i'm sharing here i saw muftim talk about this and it was really good when black friday comes people literally shop and they stay up all night days before going to get you know phones laptops whatever Allah's mercy is literally on sale in Ramadan, bro. Get in line. Come on, let's go. Let's go get some. Because look, already as Muslims, it's so easy for us to be forgiven. It's so easy for us to do a sincere repentance, get God's, you know, mercy, whatnot, get on the right track, right? But in Ramadan, it's even better because you get rewarded for everything, bro. Free hasanat. Let's go. Let's go shopping. Like literally, there is so much out there that God is just willing to throw at you and bless you with, especially in this month, you know? month of mercy and one there's so many great things in this month let's go let's go bestie let's go shopping like let's go get what actually will fix your confidence will actually fix your self-worth will actually fix your meaning of life and that thing is faith that thing is faith learning growing becoming a better person and seeking the morals that god has told you is right and is wrong getting into those things will heal you because you know those things will never leave you you know those things will never desert you those things will never go out of fashion those things will never go out of trend those things will never come up and just decide one day to get up and leave you your haram relationship your little man that you're in love with he gonna get up one day and decide that he just he had enough of you but god your relationship with god that's not gonna just get up and run away one day right look at what is permanent and establish that in your heart and through that, grow your confidence. And through that, grow your self-worth. And through that, grow your purpose. Make your purpose bigger than this world. I hope that this episode benefited you in some way, shape, or form. And if anything left you with lots of questions, open-ended questions that you are now going to seek the answers for. Are you finding yourself? Are you 22 thinking, I've been finding myself, I can't find myself? Have you perhaps forgotten that maybe what you're finding is not existing? And maybe the dream you that you are trying to find is someone you actually have to create, right? So I hope that these questions and these thoughts and, you know, with this, with us being in this month and with what you choose to measure yourself with, whether it's through school and your success and then that leaves, through your materialistic worldly things and then that leaves, like through your self-confidence on how people perceive you and then eventually that leaves. I hope that these examples put something in your mind because, you know, as a child, like I mentioned, it started off with nail polishes and it went to literally feeling like I'm not alive as a human being because it was perceiving myself through the world. And what you need to start doing is perceiving yourself through a bigger purpose, which is faith. 
which is Islam, which is, you know, your Iman, which is through God, through seeing what God can do for you. Lots of people say that God changes lives and he does, he does. But so many people don't believe that. So many people don't get to experience that. Why? Because they lose patience. They lose patience. Don't be that person. Do not be that person. You want more for yourself than your clothes, than your house, than your job, your career, your husband. You know, men got cooties. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I gotta stop saying that. Y'all, in the Discord, I'm always joking around saying stuff like that with my girls. But I promise in real life, I'm not one of those girls that are like, yo, man, you know, I'm not one of those girls. Because that that's, I'm sorry, that's all that feminist crap. But just a light joke, don't get offended. Okay, God. Watch all the men start unsubscribing. I don't care, go. But, um just messing with you month of ramadan you know sending good vibes to everybody to my brothers and sisters but um um you know it has to be greater than anything and everything that you have written for yourself that you have written for you know what your goals are and what your future is has to be greater than that and let that be faith um if you like the discussion of the whole finding and creating yourself i think i have an episode on this which was very long i think it was the dark road to you and your purpose i think that's what it's called so feel free to scroll down and you know get a really big deeper analysis in that um argument in that discussion i hope that this episode benefited you in one way shape or form and you learned and saw and kind of got like an idea on where you stand on where you measure yourself and what you can do to make the journey and to make the way that you evaluate yourself a lot better if you guys have you know any any doubts in faith i can promise you seek the knowledge seek the hope and you won't be disappointed